What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are doing an experiment update episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to episode 119, I go through an experiment that I'm doing with my program, and I'm going to be talking about it a lot today, so you probably won't have to go back and listen to it, but that podcast will go through a little bit more of my training philosophy in terms of a little bit more in-depth discussion as to why I'm doing this experiment and what my expectations are, although I'm going to go over some of that today to set the scene because this is, you know, several months later uh, or at least a couple mesocycles later, and I, I have obviously learned quite a bit about what my expectations were and kind of how I'm feeling about it today. And so what is the experiment that I'm doing? Well, I'm keeping my programming exactly the same. I'm changing absolutely nothing about my program meso mesocycle to mesocycle. I'm doing five weeks of hard training with progression. I'm taking a deload and I'm starting again with the same program. And I'll tell you now, when I made that podcast, I think I was in the middle of the first or second mesocycle. I am now through four full mesocycles. That's 24 weeks. That's, uh, yeah, four times six, 24 weeks, almost half a year, you know, let's say five months of training. Um, and my perspective has changed in some ways, but also affirmed some of the things that I thought. Um, and so we'll talk about why I'm doing the experiment. We'll talk about what my expectations were at the start. And if you want a bit more of that discussion and a bit more of my like training philosophy and how I would go about generally answering the question of what should I keep the same and what should I swap when it comes to my clients, I go through that a little bit more in episode 119. Um, we're going to talk about what are the limitations of the conclusions I'll try to draw. Uh, we'll talk about whether or not I've actually kept up with the experiment, right? Have I had to change things? Have I actually run into some of these barriers? Uh, generally, how things are going so far um, and some further thoughts and main takeaways. Those are the main topics that I have here as notes. Um, so again, what is the experiment? I'm keeping my programming exactly the same from mesocycle to mesocycle. And why, why is this an experiment that I was interested in running? Because I think that people change things up too often in their program when the goal is hypertrophy. And I think they do that because they think that there's a benefit to that novelty. Um, you know, they've heard the shock the body, you know, has kind of made its way over the years as like something that people say and think, oh, I got to do something new. I got to, you know, novelty is good for the body. You get used to the same stuff if you do it forever. And the truth is some of that is true on some very small scale over the very long term. But when it comes to like mesocycle to mesocycle progression, novelty or doing something new tends to mean uh, learning something new and not having to set up an execution correct. And I feel like there's a, a lot of benefit of continuity, which I will talk about a bit more at the end from the main takeaways. This, this idea of like, what are the actual fun and physiological benefits of doing the same stuff? Because I do believe that there are some. And basically, if you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna do, the, the question is, can I do the same programming forever? The answer is no. If, if, if someone's like, hey, can I do the exact same program forever? The, and, and continue to make progress, be pain-free, and enjoy it, let's say, because we'll talk about those three contexts in a second, I'd say the answer is no. You can't do the exact same program forever. Now, why not? And in that same vein, the reasons why not would be the things that I'm going to eventually run into if I'm keeping my program exactly the same. Eventually, I'm going to have to run into something that tells me to stop doing that. And those three things, hypothetically, potentially, would be, number one, I would stack, I would get to a point where I'm not making progression with a movement or I'm not progressing. So you might change an exercise from mezzo to mezzo if you're not progressing on it anymore. We'll talk about whether or not that's likely and, and how reasonable that is. But if you're not making progress with the movement anymore, then you could maybe, maybe come to the conclusion that it's a stale movement for you, that the, the trainability of that movement has gone down, that you've become too efficient at that movement, 
that is a hypothesis that one could have. Number two would, would be that I'd run into joint pain by doing the exact same exercises in the exact same ways, taxing the same joints in the same planes with the same resistance profiles, you would suspect that at some point I might run into some joint pain of just doing the exact same shit in the exact same way. And number three is what, you know, of the question of like, what's gonna force me to change something about the program is mental fatigue. Like, let's not make it some big, crazy scientific thing here. Am I, get to, am I gonna get to a point where I look at my program and I'm like, I don't wanna do this, or I really wanna change this, or God, I'm so bored of this. You know, and which of those three things is going to happen first? Am I gonna run into a progression wall where I don't make progress in the movement? Am I gonna run into joint pain? Or am I gonna run into mental fatigue first? One of those three things. If, if none of those things happen, then you should keep your program the same. Uh, and, and I talk about what I just said there a little bit more in the previous podcast, episode 119. So go ahead and listen to that if you want a little bit more in depth of that discussion. Um, so what were my expectations in terms of which of those three things would stop me first? Um, I, my expectations were that I would get no stagnant progression, that I would not fail to progress in a movement. And for me, if we have to define progression, it's if I look at my peak week absolute best effort, so the last week of training before deload, let's use pull-ups. Um, if I add up the number of reps I got on all three sets in my pull-ups in the final week, and so let's use this mesocycle because my, my mesocycle is coming to an end now, I think I got seven, seven, and eight in terms of these really wide grip pull-ups that I'm doing. If that number didn't beat my previous peak week, last mesocycle effort, then I would say that that would be a progression uh, stagnation or I would not be progressing on that movement. So if I quote PR on something, and again, my definition for that would be in peak week, my best effort across three sets needs to be better than my best effort across three sets in a previous mesocycle. If I don't accomplish that, I would deem that uh, a, just a performance stagnation. And that to me would be like, wow. I, and by the way, that would not automatically make me change that movement, by the way, because there's more to think about. That is a slightly short-sighted definition of failure to progress because maybe over the course of the mesocycle, I actually did more work, right? Maybe I started with four reps in mesocycle one and I finished with seven. But in this mesocycle, I did seven the whole time. You could look at just one snapshot of that final week and be like, well, you didn't progress, but the total amount of work that I did was actually a PR. And so, yeah, for me, I'm using it as a proxy, although you could get a little bit more in depth with that. Um, and so my expectations were that that would just straight up not happen. Now, what I, what I mean by not happen is, I mean that that wouldn't be the thing that would happen first to make me change something in my program. As far as joint pain, my expectations were that this wouldn't happen either. Now, again, not that it wouldn't happen ever, but it wouldn't be the thing that makes me wanna change something. My expectation was that only mental fatigue will, or, or that mental fatigue will by far be the thing that happens first and makes me want to change my program. That makes me want to change an exercise. When I say change my program, I don't mean fucking change the entire thing. I mean, I'm getting bored of movement X. I'd like to swap movement X. To me, that is the first thing that's gonna happen. Not, hey, I'm not progressing on movement X, so I have to change it. Or, hey, movement X is bothering my elbows, so I have to change it. And again, this is a personal thing. And so when it comes to the length of time that you can do a movement before acquiring this mental fatigue and this mental psychological drive to change something is going to be person dependent, context dependent. So everything I say today is like totally an end of one experience or it's just my experience. I think there are things that we can extrapolate at least from like a perspective perspective. Um, and I will talk about those. And so what are some of the limitations? Like 
to the experiment uh, or confounders. The question is, uh, the question is, has anything actually changed about my program that would mess this up? Things like, has my nutrition changed, right? If I all of a sudden go into a surplus, then that kind of throws a wrench in this because you'd expect my runway for progression to be slightly larger if I'm in a surplus and the same goes for in a deficit. If all of a sudden from meso three to meso four, I go into a deficit and I don't progress in meso four, that's a big confounding variable that like, okay, I'd not be surprised. I dropped 600 calories. I'm not surprised I didn't PR, let's say for example. Um, and for me, the only limitation or confounder here is that my leg training has picked up, sorry, picked up a little bit since mesocycle one. And so how does that, how is that relevant? You know, my upper body days are exactly the same, but my leg training because of my ankle with the, with each mesocycle has ramped up a little bit. And so you could say that I'm carrying a little bit more systemic fatigue, uh, from meso to meso because each mesocycle, my overall training stimulus across the whole week is going up because my leg training is getting harder. Now, given the results in which I'm gonna talk about in a second, I don't think that it has actually made an impact that changes the results in any way. I, I in fact, we'll just, we'll, we'll get there in a second, but I don't think it has created so much extra systemic fatigue that I immediately upon increasing leg volume or leg intensity, now I immediately ran into a wall with my upper body training. That just, that didn't happen, I'll just tell you. That has not happened. My Progression has continued to go up in the face of more leg training, harder leg training, greater systemic fatigue over the course of the week. Um, so the question is, have have I kept up with the experiment? Like now that we're at the end of mesocycle four, have I actually changed things? You know, um, have I kept up with the plan? Have I kept up with the experiment? And the truth is, no. I have changed some things, and I think I've changed I've changed some things, and I've left some things alone. I've changed something sooner and I've kept some things longer. There are things that I've kept the whole time that I think I could keep forever and things that I know wouldn't, you know, I'm not surprised didn't make it past mesocycle two. And so each of these exercises almost like took on a, a timeline in which I, you know, have a certain amount of mental fatigue before I want to change it. And that again is exercise dependent, but also person dependent. Like how, what's your relationship with that movement? What, what is your, you know, pro proclivity for that to be good at that movement? What is your just natural enjoyment for that movement, et cetera? So it's going to be different for different people from an exercise selection standpoint. But I think one of the takeaways is that we will have movements just, uh, it's not complicated based on like personal preference, which has a lot of subset reasons. Um, but there are going to be things that you can do for a long term, long time and not get bored. And they're going to be things that you can do for a shorter time and want to swap more quickly. Um, cool. So a general discussion now of like how, well, how's it going so far? I'll tell you now, I think on Mesocycle 2, when I made the last podcast, I, I had not changed anything. I just kept everything exactly the same. I was maybe, I maybe had an inkling as to things that I would want to change more quickly. I like started to pay attention. I was starting to notice that like, okay, I'm slightly less motivated for this move. I'm slightly enjoying it less. Uh, but I don't think I had changed anything really at that point. My leg training did kick up a little bit. That is something I talk about in the other podcast. Um, but I'm sure I had an inkling. And so here's how it's going so far. And, and again, I wanna talk about these three potential kind of uh, reasons to change something. Again, lack of progress, joint pain, and mental fatigue. Like those are the three reasons that I would swap something. So I just told you that I have swapped things. So what are some of my main takeaways? I'll be more specific in a second. The biggest takeaways are this. Number one is that I have had absolutely zero progression stagnation. I have not, not PR'd on something yet. Every single thing that's been in the program since day one or every single thing that was in a pro in my program from, you know, two subsequent mesocycles, two consecutive mesocycles, 
I PR'd on everything, every mesocycle. And again, my version of PR means my best, my three, uh, you know, my best effort across three sets in peak week compared to last peak week, compared to last peak week. I have not run into an exercise that I have not PR'd on. Um, every exercise that's been in there since program one to pro through program four, I have progressed on. And that's like five and a half months of training. This isn't like a, you know, a couple of weeks of PRing like and doing a little bit more week to week. This is like four mesocycles in a row of doing the exact same thing in the exact same order I PR'd on. Um, and I, to be honest with you, like I find this the most interesting takeaway, but also not surprising. This is exactly what my suspicion was that I would not run into a physical reason to change things. I would not run into a strength or hypertrophy or stag or or physiological stagnation uh, based on a couple of factors. I would not run into a scenario where I was not making progress and that was the reason I had to change something. Again, I've yet to run into that situation where I'm not progressing. As far as the joint pain thing, my expectation was that that would not be a play player either, that I would not actually get to a point my expectation was that I'd run into mental fatigue before anything else across the board. I wouldn't experience any progression stagnation and I wouldn't experience any joint pain. And for the most part, I was correct on the joint pain thing, but there, there, my left elbow has started to uh, experience a little bit discomfort on two exercises that have been in there since day one. The first is a incline dumbbell press and the second is an overhead tricep extension. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, about both of those in a bit, but um you know, as far, again, for as far as joint pain, if you're doing the, like nothing's wrong with either of those exercises, by the way, neither of those are inherently injurious, but doing the same stuff across the entirety of a program can be taxing joints in different amounts in the same exact way every week, every mesocycle without any relief. Sometimes even just changing a little bit of a variation can give that joint something else and can give it some relief. I didn't have any of that because we're doing the same thing here. Um, and then third, what about mental fatigue? How is that going so far? Honestly, as expected, motivation across the board has gone down. Now, I'm not saying it's so low that I can't get to the gym or even that it's so low that I don't enjoy it, but it's noticeably different and it's it's noticeably lower on, on average from mezzo to mezzo, except for the things that I've changed. And again, there's a lot of confounding variables as to why I change things, which we will get into. But I can tell there's a big enjoyment factor for the, for the new stuff that has found its way into the program. Now, I'm not surprised with that at all, frankly, because I actually had a reason for making that change. And so when I show up to my program, I'm looking at a program that I made for a reason and it's reflecting those, those things that I find to be important and thus I'm a little bit more excited about it. Um, I also don't think that I could extrapolate this to, hey, if I were to show up every week and do a new workout, that I would find that more motivating. I don't think that's the case. I think this is one of the limitations to saying, oh, it's new and thus I enjoy it more, I think is because I kept something in for a really, really long time. Um, it's like having a car for a really, really long time and then getting a new car and that new car is, you're so excited for it. You're more excited for that car because you had the other car for a very long time uh, this is not a perfect analogy, but like th then you would be if you drove a new car every single day. If you drove a, drove a new car every single day, you probably wouldn't be as excited for each new car because you weren't, you didn't take the other one to the extent of what you could mentally, right? And and then after having that car for four, five, six, seven, 10, 20 years, you get a new car. That's one of the reasons why it's so enjoyable is you had the other one for so long. It's kind of this, this novelty is more pronounced. 
Um, and so when we look at like, again, why I think motivation ha has gone down, um, one of the things you could say is, hey, Jordan, as you're doing the same program week to week and program to program, mesocycle to mesocycle, aren't, aren't things just getting harder and harder and harder? And couldn't the enjoyment factor be <clears throat> from the, like the lack of enjoyment or the decrease enjoyment just be from the program getting so hard that every time, you know, I'm imagining myself on the couch finishing up some work and thinking I have to go to the gym and that feeling that is inside of me in that moment, the excitement level, whatever I would rank it has gone down. And you could say, well, maybe that's just because the program's getting harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And that is why you're less excited because you know that these workouts are grueling. I would say maybe, I'd say maybe the program's gotten a smidge harder over time, but I, I, I honestly, it can't have been getting that much harder because I haven't not progressed. I haven't not PR'd. And I don't think the sessions are scaling linearly in difficulty. I don't even think they're scaling much more difficult at all from mezzo to mezzo, maybe a tiny bit. Um, but it's not like the you know first program was like RPE six and the next one's eight and the next one's 10. Like they're all hard. All the programs are hard. Um, you know, I'm working from a roughly two to four RIR in the beginning to a roughly, you know, one to beyond failure by the end. And I'm doing that every program. It's not like the programs are average RIR is going down from program to program. Not saying that that's something you couldn't do. It's just not something that I've done or would generally recommend. Now, this is kind of the big, one of the big topics I want to talk about. Like, why have I changed some things? Um, and we just had obviously a little bit of discussion of that, but this to me is the, this is the biggest reason, and I laugh because I don't know how much external validity this has. I don't know how uh, generally applicable this is. I don't know how much you will feel this, but I am really lazy. Like, I know that the exercises I've changed are the ones that either take a little bit longer to set up or a little bit more systemic fatigue or lack a little bit of stability. And in a lot of ways, this laziness makes me really good at programming for hypertrophy because when we look, when we look at like, what makes an, an exercise good or bad or better or worse for hypertrophy, one of them is uh, how much external stability you, the, the exercise gives you. And what I mean by that is, you know, imagine you're doing like a barbell row where you have to maintain a, a flexed hip position and your, your, your hips and your low back have to do a lot of work to keep you in that position versus a chest supported cable row where you're sitting down on a bench, you have a nice chest support, you don't have to expend any energy at all to remain sitting there and you can just row and take the target muscle close to failure. Barbell row lacks a lot of stability. Doesn't make it bad, but in the context of like, hey, which of these probably gives me better back gains, the one with more stability probably does. It's also generally easier, less psychological fatigue, less systemic fatigue. These all have, uh, you know, it's like a, very, a lot of overlap here. But I, I laugh because I know I'm so freaking lazy. And I, I just know that that in some ways makes me really good at programming for hypertrophy because I'm looking for movements that I can expend the least amount of energy focused on my body position or the setup itself. And I can just do the movement that I need to do and tax the muscles I need to tax. Right? I want the most stable movements where I don't have to expend any more energy than I need to to bring the target muscle close to failure. So as the mental fatigue creeps up for movements that have even the slightest bit of extra setup or stability requirements, those were the first ones that I started to feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know I'm gonna wanna swap these. Um, and the irony is my threshold for what 
extra setup or too much stability requirements in quotes, my threshold for what that means goes down every mesocycle where like in the beginning, um, you know, I was doing like a seated cable row with no chest support, but I had my feet up. And so it's still pretty stable. But after like the second mesocycle of doing that, I was like, oh my God, I need chest support. I gotta have a chest support. Like I'm not wasting a fucking ounce of my uh, energy to, to, to hold this position anymore. And there are, there are some confounding variables. So one of the confounding variables here is like, or one of the reasons why this may have happened is this can change as you get stronger at a movement. So some movements might have enough stability, but as you get stronger at them, you the, the lack of external stability starts to be exposed. And so, f- you know, um, the more I progressed with some movements, the more I'd run into certain exercises where I was like, hmm, can I add stability to this? Can I change the setup? Can I? Is there a better variation that will either require less work on the front end to set up or less work during the movement to execute? Um, you know, some of the examples that I wrote down were, I was doing some unilateral work. I was doing some unilateral rowing, let's say, uh, in a half kneeling position with no added stability. So I was doing like a half kneeling, single arm, lat pull down. And for a while, it was fine. I would just get down in a half kneeling position and I would pull. But as the weight got heavier and heavier over the course of mesocycles, the weight was starting to feel like it was lifting me off the ground. I could I could barely maintain that half kneeling position. So, okay, so I got a bench and I dragged the bench over and I propped my hand against the bench to, to give me some stability to hold myself against. And that worked really well for a mesocycle. As the weight got heavier, weight got heavier, I started to realize that maybe I want, maybe just even doing this unilaterally at all was too fatiguing. Like, not too fatiguing, by the way, but could be improved potentially by just doing it bilaterally with two arms. So I went from a unilateral lat pull down to a bilateral lat pull down with a chest support. So I got to do both arms at the same time, which technically is a little bit less fatiguing than doing it one arm at a time. Although I don't think it's at it's double. It's certainly not double to do both arms or to do one arm at a time, but I also got a chest support. So I got to sit down in a chest support and I got to use both arms at the same time. And in the short term, this felt like an amazing idea until the weights got heavy with this in mesocycle three. And for those of you guys that have ever done a ch- uh, like an, a chest supported iliac lat pull down, like you, like coach Kasim and N1 has very much popularized you know that then when the weights get really heavy for that, it's really like, it can be annoying to get into the position to actually hold on to the handles and walk yourself back and sit down on the bench. And I was doing enough weight where I actually couldn't sit down on the bench because it was pulling me up out of the chair. And that's where I'm at currently in this mesocycle. So I'm actually, at first I was doing a unilateral exercise in a way that lacked stability. So I gave that exercise stability. Then I was doing it unilaterally with stability and I thought to myself, well, can I keep the stability? Can I do it with two arms? Because that will take me less time and it will feel less mentally taxing. So I did that. Now I've gone back to the unilateral and I'm willing to accept the that unilateral might take a little bit extra time. I'm willing to accept that because I can literally no longer sit down with the weight bilaterally. So the changes that I've made, I actually was doing unilateral, now bilateral, or was doing unilateral, then bilateral, now back to unilateral, because as the weight got heavier, things changed about the stability requirements, about how taxing it was to set up, um, which I find hysterical because I was doing unilateral and I was loving it. And then it got really heavy and I was like, oh, this is kind of annoying to do both arms. Let me do them 
at the same time with chest support. And, and the first time I did it, I was like, wow, this is so much better. I was like, I, this is unbelievable. I don't know why I was doing the single arm. And we could talk about why doing a single arm potentially can allow you to get more length into position. We're, I'm not talking about that today, just strictly about like mental fatigue around certain exercise selection. And then I was doing it bilateral lateral for a bit. And I just got to a point where I was like, I can't even sit down. I'd rather go unilateral, even if it takes a little bit more time. Some of the other ones were the never ending pursuit of higher stability curl variations. Uh, again, I'm lazy as fuck. And you might listen to this podcast and be, wow, this guy's super lazy. But I was doing standing curls with 40 pound dumbbells. And frankly, my shoulders were working so hard to keep those dumbbells. Like your shoulder has to work to stabilize your humerus, the arm, in order for you to isolate elbow flexion, which is the, the elbow bending, the curl motion. And just even standing up doing curls with 40 pounders was a lot of systemic fatigue. It was a lot of work for my shoulders. And I got to a point where I was like, yo, I'm, 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 I'm literally, I, I, this is how lazy I got. I literally was looking at my program and I was like, these curls with 40 pound dumbbells, I, I want to find a, a higher stability option. Like I just, this isn't, a, even sometimes the facing away cable curl with both arms. I was like, you know what? Can I add a little bit more stability here? Can I add something behind my elbow? So I, that curl variation has evolved into now I'm doing a curl variation called a no cheat curl where I have my elbow pressed back against either the rack or a foam roller or the wall where I don't need to stabilize a shoulder. I can just gently press it back against, you know, whether it's the bench again or the wall or my rack where I don't need to actually work hard to stabilize and I can just focus on that elbow flexion, that curling movement. Um, and other general things that I wrote down would be like, I came to the conclusion that sitting beat standing basically every time, bilateral beat unilateral, basically every time, except for the example that I just gave you where it became so heavy I couldn't actually sit down. And cables beat free weights. Whenever I was like, yeah, this free weight curl or something was getting to a point where I was like, yeah, I'm not loving it. Why am I not loving it? Well, I would love the curl on the cable better. And so those were some of the gentle changes that I made. Um, at the end of the day, I laugh at the laziness because most of you guys are gonna hear that and you're like, dude, the curls were getting to a point where you felt they were too fatiguing. And that is true. After like three or four mesocycles, I was worked up to like 40 pound curls and I looked at them and I was like, you know what? I'm expending more energy on these curls outside of just my biceps than I would like to. And I think that is both because I'm super lazy and also because I understand that more stability would be better for hypertrophy and just because I was more mentally fatigued of doing that movement after having done it for like 15 straight weeks. Um, and so again, again, I don't know how much of that is gonna apply to everybody in, in terms of specific exercise selection, um, but I will say it does change based on the weight that you're using and how that affects how fatiguing the movement is. You might find lateral raises not fatiguing. I promise you, if you're lateral raising 40s, I know, you, I know. listen, oh, Jordan, the guy who's lateral raising 40s is really strong. I know. But even that doesn't scale linearly. It's probably exponentially more fatiguing to do it with 40-pound dumbbells. And that the stronger you are, the, the greater likelihood that you would benefit from higher amounts of stability or different variations that have more stability. As far as I want to, I made a note here on rep ranges. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. If you guys feel me um, speeding up in in my words per minute here, it's it's the caffeine. It's not your uh, it's not your Spotify. And so I, I I thought to myself, okay, Jordan, but maybe did you change any rep ranges? So maybe you didn't change any exercises. What about rep ranges? Did you change any of that mezzo to mezzo? And when I think about it, I did. I did change some rep ranges. 
And the changes that I made were 100% of the time I moved the rep range lower. As almost as low as I think I could get it within the hypertrophy rep range of let's say six to 30 or six to 20, I'd say more practically. Within that range, if I was doing something in like a 12 to 15 rep range, I started moving it down as low as I felt I could and still do the movement really well. Now that that last part, that that kind of disclaimer on the end there that you still need to be doing it really well, you might not want to do six rep lateral raises because you might find that when you're that low in reps with an isolation single joint movement like that, that you don't perform it well, maybe. But I will tell you right now, everything that I can do in the six to eight, I moved into the six to eight. And the truth is, that's not just me, that's not just like a, um, like a, uninformed laziness, there is some reason to do that. And I'm not gonna sit here and say you should do everything in the six to eight rep range. What I am gonna say is if you can do something equally well with less reps within the hypertrophy range of let's say six to 20, then you have a pretty strong reason to consider doing that because what we kind of know, maybe not so important and not such so uh, profound is that higher rep sets equally close to failure, while they do bring equivalent hypertrophy roughly, they're probably a little bit more systemically fatiguing because you had to do more reps. You had to do more, we call them lead-in reps. Like a set of 15 is really hard at the end. A set of six is really hard at the end or the whole time. But the set of 15, you had to do like nine, 10, 11 reps before it got hard. And so that's mental fatigue wasted. It's probably a little bit of systemic Fatigue wasted, those two probably have a lot of interconnection there. And so there is actually, I believe, and this is something I definitely do believe, that if you can get it done with equal quality and it feels good to do it with six to eight reps versus 12 to 15, I think you should generally lean on those lower rep ranges. Um, That said, this is not a golden rule. Please do not take your program. I'm only doing six to eights now. because I think that there is enough inter-individuality in how we respond to certain rep ranges that you might, and maybe that even extrapolates to different movements, like you might prefer a movement in a rep range and not really be able to kind of nail down why, but intuitively you're you're like, you know what, I you know, this cable lateral raise, when I'm in like that eight to 10, 10 to 12 range, it's really crisp. And then I go to that six to eight rep range and it just doesn't feel right. Um, while you could explore that and maybe get to down to the bottom of like a reason why that is, um, I think that we can trust that intuition a little bit. But what I would say is, if you can get it done with less reps, and when I say get it done, I mean get the target muscle close to failure with good technique and tempo and control, it's probably at least strongly worth considering going with that lower rep range. So what does that mean for me? Basically, there were movements I was doing in the 10 to 12 rep range that I almost immediately was like, fuck this 10 to 12 shit. I'm gonna do six to eight reps because I can do it equally well in the six to eight rep. I can bring the target muscle close to failure and I don't need to waste five, seven reps before this actually starts to get hard. I can get right in and work really hard from the get-go. And I saw myself, you know, again, maybe there's a confounding variable that I respond better to those reps and maybe intuitively they feel better, but it's gonna be a combination of how does this feel plus the logic of if I can get it done in less, it's probably gonna be less fatiguing. Um, Again, I don't mean do six to eight reps if you could do 15, I mean, take the, get the exercise equally close to failure in less reps by using heavier weight. Um, Cool. Again, don't extrapolate this. It's not a golden rule. There's still some some validity in experimenting with different rep ranges for different movements for different people. 
but a, but I'd say across a large population on average, if we're looking at it population level, that you know, on your own individual spectrum, maybe experience some lower rep ranges and be like, well, I can I get a great stimulus here, and I don't you know time I can spend less time doing each set and each workout and each lift, and less systemic fatigue of doing these wasted lead in reps that aren't actually stimulative. What are some other thoughts? So I'm going to go through some other thoughts and main takeaways. I didn't think this podcast would be as long, but the coffee said otherwise. Um, other thoughts where I started to challenge the biomechanics side of things with what I was feeling. And so I started to, you know, I, I when I built the program, I built it with it with a combination of what makes the most biomechanic sense for the goal that I have, right? So if I'm like, hey, I really want to work my thoracic lats, which are the upper division of your lats. All right, I know that, this certain setup is really good for thoracic lats because biomechanically it makes sense. But after a mesocycle or two of doing that movement, I was like, I don't really like this movement. Like, yeah, it maybe it even had a good amount of stability. Maybe I have no issues with it in terms of logistics, but it didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I got a good stimulus in that muscle. Um, and again, that, that I'm not saying that the way you feel is something you should 100% buy into and be like, yeah, 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 this does, I, don't, I don't like it. I'm not gonna do it. Um, I'm talking about giving an exercise a real shot before saying what I'm saying. But I, I'm going to pick on the thoracic lat row, which is basically a rowing movement where you're pulling on a slight from a slight downward diagonal. So it's you're pulling on a slight upward diagonal from a cable that's just slightly below parallel. Like if you were to bring your arm out in front of you, the arm would be out in front of you, but slightly below parallel. That would target the thoracic lats really well. That movement just wasn't feeling good. Like no matter how well I did it and got close to failure and tried different setups, you know, I didn't feel like I got a decent pump there. I didn't feel like I got any soreness there. I didn't feel any sensation during. And, and that that stuff's not useless. I'm Again, I spent two or three mesocycles doing it before I started to validate how I felt or to even consider how I felt. A lot of people on fucking day one, they're like, I don't feel this in my blank. It's like, dude, stick with it. Try tinkering with the setup. Try different variation. Try a different rep range. Try a different spot in the workout. Try more volume. Like, um, so I'm not saying that you should be like, oh my God, it didn't feel right. And just fucking swap something. Like give it, give it some time. I gave some of these things. I'm going to pick on the thoracic lat row for now. I gave it some time and I was like, this is just, is not an exercise I'm enjoying. Or I more quickly ran out of a runway to keep doing it. I ran into mental fatigue for it. Maybe because I wasn't getting some of that, that, that physical feedback, that pump, that soreness. I wasn't getting any of that feedback that I think in the long run is something that feels nice and that feeling nice is something that keeps you motivated to keep doing something. I don't think it's the be all end all in terms of stimulus, in terms of growth stimulus, in terms of gains, but it definitely was at least in part something that made me enjoy and exercise more and thus more likely to keep doing it. Uh, yeah, and and another thing was like, okay, for, for like I gently moved across, I, I gently moved along the spectrum towards things that just, intuitively felt good for me. And one was the thoracic cable row. Another one was that incline dumbbell press. Um, that incline dumbbell press, if we want to target the clavicular head of the pec, which is the upper division of the pec, the one that attaches to the clavicle, um, what we want is we want a relatively adducted, which just means tucked, a relatively tucked arm position. If you're not watching on YouTube, what I mean is you want to be pressing with your arm a little bit more tucked tight to the torso than abducted and flared out to the side, which is like how most of us learn to press is like with this big flared elbow. And so I want to grow my clavicular pecs. I, that was that was the fucking point of programming this exercise. And so I started doing it with a relatively tucked elbow position. 
After about the first and a half mesocycle, I started to develop elbow pain and shoulder pain doing it this way. It didn't feel good. And I was like, nah, 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 this makes biomechanic sense. Nah, 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 Jordan, stick with it. it biomechanically, it makes sense. In the middle of like the second or third mesocycle, uh, I thought to myself, well, well, what, what, what could I do to this movement to relieve some of that pain? Um, and frankly, maybe just improve the stimulus. And so actually what I did is I untucked my elbow a little bit and flared it a little bit more. Um, and immediately my shoulder pain went away and immediately my elbow pain went away. Now I'm not making any grandiose claims across the board here. And there's a big confounding variable that maybe if I keep doing it this way, I'll experience the same elbow and shoulder pain. And it was more that I did something different and not so much that there's something special about the change that I did make. More importantly, that I just made any change and that pain went away. But the minute I flared my elbows just a smidge more, my elbow pain was gone. My shoulder pain was gone. My actual sensation in the movement went up. Everything across the board was better. But biomechanically, it made less sense to me. Uh, and that could be a big limitation of my knowledge here. Um, but that was something that struck me also as something that would be worth a talking point. So let's go through some of the main takeaways um, and kind of what I'm going to be doing now. So the main takeaways are that I PR'd on everything, um, you know, and that you probably will too. You know, if we look at a, a stale progression or joint pain or mental fatigue, I'd say 99 out of 100 times, you're going to run into a mental fatigue issue of like, I just fucking want to do something else. I just am bored of doing this movement. I don't look forward to it and I want to do something else. 99 out of 100 times, that is what you're going to run into first. And that's why it's totally valid to be feeling that way. Now, the threshold for when that should happen probably isn't every single mesocycle on every single movement. And so make sure that the threshold for, you know, um, well, you don't get to make sure. Sometimes you feel how you feel, but acknowledge the benefit of continuity, which we'll talk about that might allow you to kind of stick it out a little bit longer and benefit from that continuity and, and not just be like, oh, I'm a little bit bored of this. Okay, let's totally change everything up. One of the um, one of the big benefits of keeping everything the same was that I wasted very little time, and I say wasted, I spent very little time figuring out what load to use between mesocycles. Now, this is a, I run a group, 700 people in the group. I have, uh, you know, 50 one-on-one clients. We talk about this every single mesocycle. You finish your mesocycle doing 100 pounds for 10 reps on the RDL, you're fucking crushing it. What, and you're gonna keep RDLs in next mesocycle. What weight do you start with? And because I just kept doing the same exercises more or less, I had really good data of where I should start based on where I finished. And if you're changing shit out every mesocycle, it's gonna be really hard. You're gonna spend the first couple of weeks kind of recalibrating the loads that you're supposed to use. And I did that in the first meso. If I look at my first meso numbers, which I'll, I'll put together like some of the, how much I progressed on stuff from meso one through meso four, meso five, is I spent the first three or four weeks training way easier than I than I probably should have. Like, because I was figuring out the setup, I was figuring out what I was capable of, I wasn't neurologically efficient at the movement yet, I wasn't really in the groove yet. And so the workouts were really streamlined from meso to meso. Like, I didn't spend a lot of time figuring out what weight to use. I didn't spend a lot of time figuring out the setup, figuring out the execution, tweaking stuff. Things were really streamlined, and I gotta tell you, this was huge. This was one of the main enjoyment factors, actually. I might have not looked forward to that thoracic row, but something that made me keep the thoracic row in for a bit longer was that I knew exactly how I was setting it up. I knew exactly where the bench was, what angle it went on, what height the cable was at, what you know width my hands were at. I knew exactly how to execute it. I knew what weight I was gonna start with, and so that was really nice. 
And I think that there's this big, this is something I'm gonna just, I probably have one more little thing after this, but this is a big take home. It's like, people think novelty is fun. People are, ah, doing something new is fun. Doing the same thing is boring. That's the, the I would say, misconception is that the same thing is boring and new is fun. Let me be honest with you. I coach a lot of people. When we do new stuff, there's more anxiety because it's something new. I have to take a form video. I don't know how I'm doing it. What weight should I choose? Where's the setup? How do I move the bench? What angle should it be on? And doing that with a bunch of new exercises every single mesocycle is not as enjoyable or at least has a downside of all of these things you have to do now where if you have the same movement done in the same way as last mesocycle, you don't have to spend a lot of time figuring it out. And I promise, if you've never been in a program where you do the same or similar or you at least keep some things the same, then you might not know what I'm talking about, but you do know this idea of like, hey, when I start a new program and I have to figure out what weight to use, that gives me a little anxiety or that is something that I struggle with. You won't have to do a lot of that if you keep things the same, I promise. Every mesocycle, it is so easy for me to pick my week one expected values based on what I did at the end of last mesocycle. And that very easy process of, oh, I know exactly where the bench goes, I know exactly what weight to use, I know exactly how many reps I'm gonna start with this mesocycle, that process brings me a lot of joy. And while I have experienced some fun with doing new exercises, it was only, again, it was only after doing the other exercise, the prior one, for several in a row. And it had eventually run its course and then doing something new was fun. But doing something new across the board, changing the whole program every six weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, to me is gonna lead to a couple weeks of suboptimal work while you're figuring out the setup and figuring out what weight to use and sending a form video to your coach and getting it back from him or her and adjusting things and changing the tempo and you know trying a different variation Doing the same stuff mezzo to mezzo takes all of that out and makes it really plug and play. Like people think novelty is fun. You know what's also fun? Knowing what the F to do when you get in the gym, like knowing exactly what to do. And I'll also say that the workouts took less time this way. You know, I, I was like, hey, you know, I had four to six movements and I knew exactly what I was doing with the exact setup. And I just went down to, you know, I'm, I'm working out all at home right now. So I went down to the garage and I knew exactly how I was setting things up. I did not waste any extra effort brain power, figuring anything out, which I think is just underrated. Um, so what have I learned from this exercise and maybe what am I gonna do going forward? So going into this exercise or this experiment, I what I was doing was raising the bar of mental fatigue. I wanted to push, I, I knew in my gut that mental fatigue would be the thing that would push me to change something first. But what I wanted to do was really not give in for a longer than I normally would or not give in for a long time. I just, you know, I didn't want those feelings to creep up and be like, oh, you're a little bit bored of doing this. So I guess you have to swap it. I wanted to stick it out. So what I did was I raised the bar for mental fatigue and when I would let that tell me to change something. What I'm gonna do going forward is I'm probably gonna bring it a little bit down from where it was for the experiment purposes, but I'm absolutely raising it up from where it was prior and so what does that mean practically is that I will be keeping more things the same than I maybe had in the past. Um, and I'm going to lean a bit more into that continuity because of the added practical benefits of knowing what weight to choose and all the shit I just talked about. Also neurological efficiency, just being more in the groove with that movement, the actual skill of performing that movement. Um, and if I feel good doing it and mentally I'm not hating it, I'm gonna keep it. So I'm gonna raise the bar for what would be required for me to change something about my program 
Again, mostly from a mental fatigue standpoint, because nine times out of 10, that's gonna be the deciding factor. Um, and I just find that to be really good. I, I, I took this experiment and I'm probably, you know, I'm not done with this experiment because I'm gonna keep keep on keeping on in terms of keeping most things the same unless I have a reason to change it. Um, but it did give me some of those main takeaways of, you know, higher stability movements, movements that require less setup, like, you know, even just like putting a bunch of bumper plates on the barbell versus like, could I do this on a machine just as well, for example, right? Um, or cable versus dumbbell or, you know, not having chest support or having a chest support. And for me, the higher the stability, the exercise, like the less I had to expend energy to get in and out of the movement or set up the movement, the longer I would do it before getting mentally fatigued, which I think is a good proxy for the word enjoyment. I was enjoying it more and, and felt less a need to change it based on the degree of stability and the time it, the time and effort cost of setting it up. Um, and so I do think the benefit of continuity practically and neurologically is so helpful. And I think we miss out a lot because we think that novelty is fun. We're like, I don't wanna do the same thing. Listen, man, doing the same thing allows you to get, probably get better, very likely get better results than changing shit every mesocycle. Um, and, you know, really dispels some of the anxiety around what weight do I pick and, and all of the things that we think of when we, when we join a new program. Um, and it's been cool to see people in my group program start to say things like, oh, please don't swap X movement out because I just really started getting in the groove with it. And that leads me to believe that at least in my group, we're on the right track here because that is a feeling that you should have sometimes where you're like, man, I spent three weeks figuring out my hip extension at home setup. I don't wanna swap it two weeks from now. I just got in the groove. And so if you're starting to have some of those feelings of like valuing the continuity aspect, I think that that is also parallel, if not on the same path as probably leading towards better gains over time, whether it's strength, honestly, with anything, but specifically for today's discussion, hypertrophy. Um, so maybe I'll check back in and see how my training's changed. Maybe I'll do this as like a quarterly update a couple times a year, just kind of like what I'm doing with my training these days and why. Um, if you want a slightly longer breakdown in this discussion of why you might change something, I do I do that a little bit more systematically in episode 119. Um, and so go back and listen to that one. If you guys have questions, you shoot me a DM or something like that and we can talk about it. Ask a question in the Q&A would be great. Um, and I'm looking forward to keeping you guys updated. Hope this was, this was not just a mindless drivel ramble tangent. I hope it was actually something worthwhile. And so I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.